Hello there. Hello there. Hello, what have we here? Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Daniel Talks About Star Wars. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm the titular Daniel, and on this show, I do exactly as that name suggests. We're going to be talking about some Star Wars today, namely, looking at the latest episode of The Book of Boba Fett, episode 3, which I do believe is titled The Streets of Moss Esper. I accidentally discovered that, much to my chagrin, because I kind of enjoyed the uh, the reveal of the title last week, as it happened as I watched the episode, but never mind, maybe next week. <laughs> so yeah, here we are again, Book of Boba Fett, and I'm using the correct microphone this week, hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> I'm still annoyed about that, but yes, I'm, I've definitely selected the right one, so we should be sounding a bit better than last week. Speaking of sound quality, or at least... Uh, not the quality, but the noise pollution that goes on in these <laughs> some of these commentaries. I'm, I mean, firstly, I apologise because the microphone I do have is rather sensitive, surprisingly sensitive given how cheap it was to buy, uh, and I know it picks up me breathing quite often, which I don't enjoy listening back to as I edit these, so I'm sure it's not fun to listen to, and also. I'm sorry about any background noise that you hear, mostly cars zooming by outside or children playing on the street that I live on. Unfortunately, I live in a new build house. Well, not unfortunately. It's a very nice house. I'm very <laughs> lucky to live where I live, but it does mean thin walls. And I can't even hear at the time because I've got my headphones in when I'm watching the episode, any of the noise that's going on outside. But somehow my microphone picks it up. So if you hear any of that, I do apologise. But now that that's all out of the way, let's, yeah, let's get into this episode of Boba Fett. I really enjoyed last week's episode. I have heard, or I saw, a little headline today that said that this episode is not great, what I'm about to watch. But I think that was from a site that was like Screen Rant or something, which isn't exactly the kind of site where I take much heed in, uh, what they say. So we'll see, and I'll make up my own opinion about the episode. But yeah, had a really good time with last week's episode, The Tribes of Tatooine. So I'm gonna get onto Disney Plus and fire up episode three. And while I do that, I'll just quickly mention that at the end of this episode, I will be talking some more High Republic. So stick around for that. Last week, I, of course, just went through the, uh, the recently announced plans for what uh, what the plans are for Phase 2 of the High Republic once Wave 3 of Phase 1 wraps up, and indeed Phase 1 itself. Um, and that was really interesting to look into. And certainly as the week has gone on, I've definitely warmed to the idea of taking a step back from the current sort of time period and uh, going in the past, doing a prequel. Should be very interesting to look into, but uh, this week I will just be updating you on where I'm at with the High Republic, because I've read a few more things, so I'll be sharing my thoughts on The Fallen Star, among other things. Right, here we go. Chapter 3, 39 minutes, so a bit shorter than last week. Boba Fett must deal with two very different threats. Alright, so I've got Boba Fett lined up on Disney Plus at 0 hours, 0 minutes and 0 seconds. There are 38 minutes and 35 seconds remaining. 
This is Chapter 3, The Streets of Mos Espa, if indeed I'm getting that title correct. I'm going to count down from three, and when I say go, we'll all hit play, and hopefully we'll all be synced up. Got it? Good. Alright. Let's do this. Three, two, one, go. Love a good recap. That door still looks tiny. I'm sure I said that last week. The voice of the uh, mayor was Robert Rodriguez, or is Robert Rodriguez, I found out after watching the episode. Oh, and the big black Wookiee. I, I it's because I've, you know, taken a break from Star Wars over the past couple of months. So I, um, I doubted myself. But when that Wookiee did walk into frame last week, I swear to God, I thought, oh, is that the Wookiee from, I only really know him from the Dr. Afro comics, although I believe he originated in the Darth Vader comics. But I thought, Oh, is that Black Chrysanthemum? And I couldn't remember his name either. It's not a character I'm particularly familiar with. I just know of him. So when he walked in, I was like, oh, is that him? But I kind of doubted myself because I was like, oh, I'm not sure. And also, you know, I'm sort of still in that mindset where it's like, well, they wouldn't bring in a minor comics character into live action. Surely, why would they do that? Even though we're coming off the back of a season of The Mandalorian where they brought in Bo-Katan and, uh, from animation and Ahsoka and Cobb Vanth of all characters from the Aftermath books. So, yeah, we live in a Star Wars age where that happens now and it is Black Kassantan. But uh, I was having doubts at the time. I love that droid. I think it's a puppet. He looks very puppety. He looks like he would fall over if you touched him. Oh, okay. So this is what happened after Jabba died. feel like it must be someone else that sent the uh, Nightwind people. Because it felt way too easy to be like, oh, it's the mayor. And I still feel like it's a bit too easy now to just be like, oh, it was the huts, you know. There's too much 
uncertainty around it. I feel like a another secret party that may be revealed to us in time once Boba Fett out of power. Who's that guy? I can only really think right now that he was in Get Out, but he's been in loads of stuff. Quite a prominent character actor. Cyborgs. Did he say what his initial tribute was, though? Could be like one credit. <laughs> it's like I'll double it, two credits. Ooh, my Sesper Knight. I'm immediately reminded of uh, the Phantom Menace when uh, Qui Gon and Anakin are looking at the stars or the planets or whatever. Like the honesty. His reputation's gone down the toilet. This is Boba Fett. <laughs> The uh, the clothes that the guy on the, the right, to the right of the main woman that's talking, is wearing some very un-Star Wars-y looking clothes, I must say. <laughs> like, it looks very trendy. Looks like it should be on the front of a Star Wars catalogue. 
TikTok dank. <laughs> I honestly never knew that Jabba's Palace was in Mos Espa. Or maybe it's not. But it's gotta be close by, at least, if this is kinda like the main... place he kinda... Those are some fancy looking speeders. I'm not sure how Star Warsy they look, to be honest. This whole gang kind of is not giving me very Star Warsy vibes. Just from the, uh... The overall design of them. The streets of Mos Espa, there we go. Gotta love that burp. That burping creature, was that the same one from Return of the Jedi? Flashback time. Oh, Kamino. Oh, I'm not sure about that, uh, that, uh, transition just then. Riding a bantha. Oh, this is Moss Eisley. I was going to ask that. I wonder if those are the same spikes we see in uh, The Mandalorian when... Oh yeah, and there's... Uh... Okay, yeah, I guess that was a quick little Mandalorian tie-in. That was uh, Amy Sedaris's character, wasn't it? Followed by her pit droids. I know her best as Princess Carolyn from Bojack Horseman. It was very distracting when she first turned up in The Mandalorian because her voice, I could only think about Bojack Horseman.
There's a lot of talk of these uh, oceans that Tatooine used to have. I think there was a mention of them last week as well. I'm not sure why you would ride a banther. They appear to be very slow. Oh no. Oh, if his all his Tuscan mates are dead, I'm not gonna be pleased. Okay, I'm seeing Banthers, but I'm not seeing Oh wait, I think I do see bodies. I hope they're not dead because, oh yeah, it's looking like they're all dead. I'm, I feel like it might be a bit early in the show to do this. I mean, I, I suppose I don't know what's, uh, what's going to be in the rest of the show when it comes to these flashbacks, but he's only just properly become their mate. <laughs> it also feels a bit cheap as well to sort of... Oh, it was those bikers. Wait, didn't he bite? Oh, he beat those guys up last week. Now that's come back to bite him. Oh, no. But anyway, I'm not sure. It just feels a bit easy, like a bit cheap. To be like, oh, this is Boba Fett's motivation now. They're all dead. A bit predictable, you know, maybe cheap isn't the right word, but certainly. Could have seen this coming from a mile away. Although I wasn't expecting it to happen so soon. I don't think we saw his other mate, though, the one that was helping him fight. So maybe he's still alive. Oh my god! We're getting a showdown with Black Crescenton already! He's massive. And Boba Fett's in his underwear! How did he get in, I wonder? Ooh, it's gotta hurt hitting a jet, <laughs> in a jetpack like that. Oh, that's cool.
He sounds a bit different to the Wookiees we've heard before. More of a booming growl than your typical, oh, it's not nice to be bitten by a Wookiee, I'm sure. Oh my god, he's hugging Boba Fett to death. Oh wow, these punks are really just ready to go, huh? Oh wow. Boba Fett's really not having a good time. Ah, oh, that sounded a bit more Wookiee. <laughs> I honestly don't know how I feel. Well, I do know how I feel about these guys, to be fair. I don't like them very much. <laughs> They're a bit lame, if you ask me. Well, there's no Rancor down there. Oh, he put his dressing gown on. He's going to share his back to tank? Is that hygienic? What's this? That was just for the two of them? My goodness. I feel like he would have told him to stop after the first couple of plates. Oh, it gets a name drop. The huts are here already. Wonder what the gift is. (laughs) 
Well, they're very uh, upfront about it. Is that a new Rancor? Is that Danny Trejo? I would not be surprised if this episode was directed by Robert Rodriguez. Oh, come on. You can't just grab Danny Trejo and <laughs> put him in a role like that. That is so distracting. Is it the Black Sun? Is it Crimson Dawn? <gasps> Wait, so... Are the Hudson Black Crescentinel just a big red herring? That would be a little bit... Not great. Oh, a reference to the Gladiators. It's Black Crescentinel, as I have learned <laughs> in the week since last episode, spent some time as a Gladiator. Wanted to be a better killer. Oh, but it, maybe he'll stick around. Oh. Nah, stick around. Come on. He's a cool presence to have around. Oh, wow, he's really just running off, huh? If that's the last we see of him, I'll be rather upset. Not that I particularly have a strong affection for the character himself, or those huts, but it seems like a bit of a waste if that if that's it. Danny Trejo, what are you doing there? I wish it was something other than a rancor, I have to say. This does feel a bit like, you know return to the status quo. At least Danny Trejo's getting some lines now, at least. Oh my god, is Danny Trejo going to stick around as the Rampor? Uh, Rampor? Rancor Keeper? Oh. oh, I think he's sticking around, actually. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Rancor looks pretty good, to be fair.
Oh. I love a reference to Dathomir. Oh, it's a Rider Rancor. Oh my goodness me. That would be quite the statement. <laughs> he seems really into this Rancor. I've never seen Boba Fett so happy. Well, I hope it doesn't have to hurt it. Wouldn't it be crazy if this was the same Rancor that was in that one episode of The Bad Batch, the little baby one? What a twist that would be. <laughs> I'm busy petting this Rancor. Oh, I'm sorry, those mopeds are just not... No, I'm sorry, these guys do not look like they should be in Star Wars. Boba Fett being flanked by a variety of colourful mopeds is not quite the cool image I think it wants to be. Definitely trying to make a run for it. Fennec is very handy to have around. I don't know what Boba would do if she wasn't here. 
Oh, he's making a run for it, but where's the mayor? Unless he's just a distraction. Please, no, I don't want a chase scene with these guys. A protocol droid. Oh dear. I don't want to sound like I'm really hating on the episode, but this is not providing me with much thrill. Like, who are these guys? Like, why... It's just, I think this is kind of... This is one of the problems that I had with The Mandalorian as a as a show, like, my sort of big issue with that show is kind of, um, and this is an issue as well with the sort of the reduced episode lengths, you know, what you would get compared to other shows like this, you know, the fact that this is only about 35 minutes long, you know, there's not a lot of time in these episodes, you know, of, of this show or of The Mandalorian, and sort of things like this happen, where it's like these characters turn up and it's just like, you are part of the show now. And, you know, it's like I'm supposed to care and just sort of be on board for it. And I feel like Boba Fett himself had more or less a similar kind of introduction. And I'm going to call it now, especially with that shot that kind of pulled into her as she skidded to a halt. This was definitely directed by Robert Rodriguez, because I'm kind of getting a Spy Kids sort of quality about it. Oh, it was the Pikes. They probably did send the assassin then, to be fair. Anyway, but I feel like Boba Fett himself, sort of in The Mandalorian, sort of had a similar kind of introduction. And he got more of an introduction than most, because at least they took the time to like go through the chain code in his armor and stuff and he was like i'm boba fett but it's really just like he turned up and he's just in the show now and it's like there's not much and i think i said this a few episodes ago as well my sort of uh, end of year episode for 2021 um you know i said how i can't really ever recall mando and boba fett sharing a scene together where they talk you know outside of that initial introduction where it's like this is my armor it belonged to my father you know, outside of that, when do they ever just stop and have a chat and actually develop as characters a bit? And I feel like it's much the same here. It's like, these lot, it's just like, here they are. And boy, are we spending a lot of time with them now. 
How about a hundred pikes? <laughs> War. Yep, directed by Rodriguez. Yeah, I've got to say, written by John Favreau, though. Still, you know, it's very strange. Just as a, as an aside, just imagining John Favreau writing these episodes of like Star Wars. It's just, it's odd. I can't quite picture it. Um, anyway, um, yeah, gotta say, actually, maybe I am on the side of Screen Rent for this <laughs> one instance or whatever that site was that I saw. That wasn't a great episode. Yeah, I mean, that, that little gang that he's got now, that chase at the end of the episode wasn't quite doing it for me either. And I really hope that's not the last we've seen of the Huts and Black Chrysanthemum, because then it's like, what was the point? Very little flashback in this episode as well, which I was I'm surprised about because I'm I've, after episode two I was expecting quite a lot of flashback now and for it to sort of just be the case for the rest of the season. But dare I say I actually missed the flashbacks in this one? Yeah, that almost felt like kind of a pointless episode. I will admit I'm not entirely sure what we learned that was new. Obviously, I you know I can't really say that. You know we'll have to see how it fits in among the uh, entirety of the seven episodes once it, the whole series is wrapped up. But yeah, probably the were, well, my least favourite episode that I've seen so far. We'll see how we do next week. And uh, I'm sorry because I feel like that was probably quite an overly negative commentary, but um, my feelings are my feelings. But before I wrap it up for this episode... Let's just quickly have another chat about the High Republic. Since last week, I have finished The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray, the latest novel in the High Republic series, sequel to The Rising Storm. I finally finished Into the Dark, which was another Claudia Gray joint, <laughs> and that is the first young adult novel, which was part of Wave 1 back in February, I think. I have read the first issue of Eye of the Storm, which is the Martian Rowe backstory comic, one of two issues written by Charles Soule. That came out today, and I've started reading, um, and I'm about halfway through, A Test of Courage, which is the Young reader book from phase from wave one, sorry, of phase one, and that is written by Justina Ireland. So I'm well in. Oh, and also as well, I read the second volume of the comic so series as well, the main Marvel one by Kevin Scott. So yeah, and I think that collected issues six to ten. So yeah, I'm well into it at the moment. And truth be told, I did actually already record an episode for The Fallen Star, but I'm not really happy with how it turned out. And this, again, is sort of just a wider issue I have with talking about books anyway. Not that I've let it stop me in the past, obviously, but it's very difficult to talk about a novel 
And when I do think back on those episodes that I've done about different novels, I always just think like, God, that was probably very rambling and not very enjoyable to listen to. And I felt much the same about The Fallen Star. And also, to be fair, I didn't have an awful lot to say about it. I struggled a bit with this one because I won't lie to you. When I mentioned it last week, I was probably about halfway through, maybe less actually, um, and I was really enjoying it. I will say right out of the gate, just before I carry on with my little mini review, it is a very good book. It's a very worthy successor to Light of the Jedi, The Rising Storm. It's a very well written book. It was a very easy read. I read it the quickest out of, well, any of the books really that I've read, you know, since I started doing this podcast. It took me about four days or so. I read it at a very sort of steady, even pace. It was very easy to get through, and I think Claudia Gray injects a lot of uh, wit into the book, which is very well balanced among the darker aspects of the book, which it does very much lean into towards the end. Um, But I I thought the setup for the book, which is sort of what I, I had mainly read when I mentioned it last week, which I was really enjoying, is definitely the highlight of the book, the the impending sense of dread and doom that builds up throughout the first portion of the book. is very good, and it does sort of put you on edge. Because we all know what's coming, you know, it is a use a good use of kind of like dramatic irony. They have not been shy in marketing this book to let us know that people are going to die, and Starlight Beacon is falling down. Unfortunately... That is where the book fails for me. On a personal level, I found it just a very unfulfilling read in terms of the narrative and sort of how it played out. Because once I got to a point about halfway through where, you know, maybe a couple of characters had died and Starlight Beacon had began to fall, I very quickly got to a point where I was just like, oh... I know exactly how this is going to play out now. And even if I didn't fully know like the, the finer details of it, like who specifically might die, and obviously what specifically happens on the station, it was just the kind of book where, because I know that, you know, they've promised before the book has even come out that, you know, like, well, people are going to die. Every time a character found themselves in a position where it's like, oh, I think maybe this person could die, I wasn't then thinking, oh my god, you know, what's going to happen? Are they going to make it out of this? It was a very kind of resigned feeling of just being like, oh, this character's going to die in a minute, and then sure enough, it might happen. And it was a lot of that throughout the the rest of the book, where it was kind of just going through the motions. It's like, okay, yep, Starlight Beacon's coming down. Spoilers, you know, but not really, because we all know it is. And so, once I got to that point, it kind of just became getting through the rest of the book instead of enjoying and experiencing a really interesting story play out, which is a shame, really, you know, because, like I said, it was a very good book, like, well-written, an enjoyable read. It's not bad by any stretch, but it's just, it was lacking the the exhilaration, you know, I look back so fondly on reading The Rising Storm, especially, and, you know, certain standout moments of Light of the Jedi, and I just think about the, the, the edge of the seatness, you know, about, about it, and, and just, it was, there was such exciting reads, and with this one, I did sort of have just a, a, a resignation as I was reading it. So yeah, on a personal level, The Fallen Star did fall a bit, 
flat for me. But hey, what are you going to do? They can't all be winners, right? And like I said, at the end of the day, it was still a, a fine book, you know. You know, it's got to mean something when at the end of the day, it is the quickest I've gotten through a book, you know, probably ever. <laughs> so that speaks volumes. And just while I'm thinking about it, actually, I think I, I think at the time when I reviewed The Rising Storm, I did say that I think Light of the Jedi just edged on top. I think that, you know, for me, they were quite on par at the time and still are, you know, they're both excellent books. But I think I said at the time that I would take Light of the Jedi over the Rising Storm. However, I think in time, you know, my, my heart has grown much fonder for the Rising Storm. I look back on reading that one and think of the events that took place in that book. And I definitely think now I would probably say that was my favourite out of the three. And The Fallen Star is, as you can probably tell, my least favourite so far. But when it's still a pretty good book... You know, it being my <laughs> least favourite doesn't really speak to the, the quality of it. It was just a bit bit of a misfire for me on a personal level. However, there were still plenty of standout moments, particularly in the first half. It was a great build-up um, and standout characters as well. This is the most I've ever enjoyed reading Marcion Rowe, which says something as well because he probably is in this book the least out of all of them so far, but his chapters were just pitch perfect, and, and the last chapter that he features in was absolutely fantastic. Elzar Man continues to be a very interesting character. I like what they did with Stellan Geos, and pairing him up with a character like Orla Jarini is very interesting. As I've said, it's always nice to see Indira Stokes in the limelight, <laughs> who uh, I've made no secret. She is my... Uh, personal favourite to come out of the High Republic so far, so I'm always happy to see her, and very happy that she's front and centre on the main cover. Belzetifar as well, he's uh, such a, a good character, and I don't mean that in the way like he he's great, I like him, although I do, and that is true. Like, I mean he's just such a good-hearted person, and he's just such a prime example of a Jedi. Uh, Bell's really great. So yeah, you know, The Fallen Star, read it for yourself, make up your own mind about it, it's great but maybe just not for me. I will say, though, about Into the Dark, Claudia, Ray, Claudia Gray's other novel, this time a young adult novel, um, that was really great. And I can't really do a full review of it because it has been, like, months since I last read it, like, <laughs> up until now. So, you know, I can barely remember what happened at the start of the book, really. But that, again, is full of great characters, great humour, and it's a really interesting story. I, I really like the Drengir as they're presented in this book as villains, probably more so than I like them in the comics, although not to say that that's bad, but they really worked for me as villains in this book, or as a monstrous kind of presence um, alongside the Nile. The setting on the Amaxine station was really cool, and yeah, like, the, just the gig, again, the characters, you know, this is the introduction of Joel... <laughs> Orla Jarini, who is a very interesting and very likeable character. My favourite out of the book was probably Comac Vitus. I really enjoyed him. And then, of course, we get here the introduction of Leox, Affy, and Geode as well, who are characters that return in The Fallen Star. They're all really interesting. Reef Silas is great as well, who is the main protagonist of the book. These are all great characters that are just full of such personality, and they're so well-defined. And they're also extremely likeable and sympathetic, 
it's really, and that is something that I can say about the High Republic as a whole. I always come out of books and and stuff just adoring, you know, each new character that that I'm introduced to. They 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 always, the writers have such an incredible talent for just getting these characters, getting you to invest yourself in these characters, and they they endear them to you so easily. Um, it's really great, and you know, I'm feeling the exact same way about characters now. In a test of courage, you know, like. Avon Staros and Honesty Weft, who are not the characters that I was most looking forward to reading about in that book, you know. I'm coming at that book to read about Venestra and Imri, you know, the two Jedi characters, surprise, surprise, but actually I'm reading the POVs of Honesty and Avon, and it's like, oh, great, you know, I I really enjoy these characters. So, yeah, they have a real uh, knack for that in the High Republic, which is why I sort of have faith if we are in Phase 2, which which we are, uh, going to be doing this prequel with whole all new characters then you know that's why i'm i have faith now that there will be characters that will stand out and will become quite beloved much like these high republic characters in phase one have so yeah and that's a little bit on uh, a test of courage as well i'm enjoying it so far it probably won't leave much of an impact but you know kind of like race to crash point tower which i enjoyed reading just fine and again, I enjoyed the characters in that, much the same as in A Test of Courage. But at the end of the day, it is a young reader book. It's not necessarily going to leave that great lasting impression. That It's not going to have that big wow factor like a book like The Rising Storm is. Because it's not for me, you know, it's intended for a much younger audience that just want a bit of a rollicking Star Wars adventure. So that's perfectly fine. I don't expect much more from it. And finally, just a quick note about Eye of the Storm issue one by Charles Soule. Gotta say I'm slightly disappointed by it. It's it's very interesting to finally get some answers about Marcion Rowe and where he comes from and all of that, which we do get in this first issue of the comic. You know, we see where his people came from, what happened to his people, all sorts of stuff like that, and then a, a brief kind of history of Martian as he is a child and some sort of the earlier days of, of the Nile, which is all really interesting to see, but they weren't exactly revelations about him that, at least to me, sort of feel like they mean anything right now. Um, that could all change when issue two does come out and we get a fuller picture. Kind of like how I felt with this episode of Boba Fett, I suppose. But right now, just sort of seeing his backstory in the way of, you know, like what his species is and where they come from and what happened to them. That isn't really the kind of history I want on Marchion Row. Like it doesn't feel like it really amounts to anything in the long run. What I want to know is what his family's beef with the Jedi is. You know, why is he actually doing what he's doing in the books and in the rest of the High Republic? You know, I want those are the answers I want. Learning the name of his species and all that stuff is is nice and it's nice to have those answers but ultimately they don't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things so and that's mainly what issue one of this two comic run was um concerned with so yeah that didn't quite work for me either although it was an enjoyable read and obviously it was nice to get some answers but i'm hoping issue two is gonna fill in more of the blanks that i actually want filling in so yeah that's where i'm at with the high republic at the moment I love it. What can I say? <laughs> I've made that no secret on this show. So yeah, I'm hoping to finish A Test of Courage fairly soon, because I don't think it'll take me long to get through that with it being a shorter and 
you know, a book intended for younger readers. Um, once I've read A Test of Courage, I'm going to move on to Out of the Shadows, which is Justina Ireland's young adult novel from Wave 2. And then once I've read that, I only really need to catch myself up on the comics and then listen to the Tempest Runner audio drama. And then I'll be all caught up with the High Republic, ready for the rest of Phase or Wave 3, rather, to roll out. We've got Midnight Horizon and Mission to Disaster on the way. And the comics will, of course, continue as we wait for Phase 2 to begin in October. So, yeah, should be good. But I think that's enough talk from me today. So, thank you very much for listening to my commentary on Boba Fett, as well as listening to me ramble about the High Republic for a bit. I'm going to go now. I'll see you next week when we talk some more Boba Fett and whatever else I might have to say after the commentary is done. So until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.